Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Good morning. It is a blessing to be together this Lord's Day. We're thankful for the number that we have with us. We have several in our audience that are visiting with us. We are especially grateful for your presence and hope that you have been encouraged throughout our service this morning as we've been trying to worship our God and our Father in Heaven and as we've been studying from the Word of God. We hope that you will continue to study with us this morning, opening up your Bibles and studying along with us to see what God's Word has to teach and to say. We're, if you're in our area and you're visiting with us, we hope that you can come back any other time that you might have. We will be meeting this evening at 5 o'clock, so we would like to see you back then, if at all possible. We hope that you can stick around and get to know us a little bit better and us to get to know you as well. In... Paul's letter to the Romans, he has spent a great deal of time speaking about how God has justified someone from sin and how that brings about a transformation. Justification is this idea that we are saved, we are forgiven, we are pronounced free from sin, we are pronounced not guilty. And then that is to lead to a new way of living, a new way of life which Paul addresses here in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 1, when he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That Paul in this in these verses he outlines for us I believe the motivation for holiness. Why do we need to live a holy sanctified life, one that is different than the way that the world lives? Well, it's because of the mercy and the grace of God. That is the beginning and the launching point for any discussion about how we live. How we are to be presenting ourselves before God. You have to understand the grace of God and His mercy and the salvation that we have been given. That's our motivation. And then how we present ourselves is going to be seen in a very visible way. It ought to be seen with the eye. Paul says that we are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. The way that we conduct ourselves, our actions, the way that we use our body is something that is important to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Gospel. It is a part of the Gospel and how we are to live. In Romans chapter 6, earlier in the book, in Romans chapter 6 and in verse 12, Paul said this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. The body has a great deal to do with how we live. Doesn't it? Just our everyday actions, how we dress, how we think, and the actions that we do, our work, everything. It's going to involve our body in some way. And so that is how it's not absurd to think that our body is going to be connected to our holiness and how we manifest our holiness before God. And then we also see that there is this warning that we are to not adopt the ways of the world. Paul's very clear, to not be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed. That we are to be different. We are to be distinct. We are the saints. We are the children of God. And we are to not adopt 
the philosophies and the standards of this world. Paul makes it very clear. And so this morning I want us to ask a very serious question that is needed to be addressed from pulpits, I believe, in a very serious and a very thorough way. And that is, we want to start off with this question. Is there an understandable biblical pattern of public modesty that applies to men and women regardless of culture or situation? Is there an understandable biblical pattern of public modesty that applies to both men and women regardless of culture or situation? I believe the answer is yes. I believe the answer is absolutely yes. And so this morning I want us to think about the subject of modesty and how the Bible presents modesty for us as a concern and as something that we ought to think about. And the first thing, if you would turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2 with me. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, this is one of the main passages that Paul addresses the issue of modest apparel and how we are to dress and to appropriate ourselves and our body. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 8, if you will begin with me there, he says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And whatever we might think about Paul's phrase of holy hands, whatever he is discussing there, it certainly involves holiness and in your conduct, in your worship, and how you are to present yourself before God. I think that's something that we have to understand, that he is talking about holiness. And then he connects in verse 9, likewise, men don't think you're off the hook. (laughs) Because of what he says in verse 8, is also going to carry out through verse 9, the principles are. Even though he specifically begins to address women in verse 9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves. He's going to also connect that with men. Likewise, it goes, it links the two. And so he says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair, and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. We have to understand that what Paul is writing about here is that there is an appropriate way for every child of God, man and woman, to dress. And there is a way that we need to present ourselves before the holy God of heaven and before our neighbor, our friends, and our family. And there is, I would say, an epidemic of immodesty. That we live in a world that is very immodest. That we don't give any concern as society at large. We don't give a concern for how we ought to dress and what is appropriate, and what is right. And we need to defend biblical modesty. Even though it may may not be popular, even though it may not always be the most fun subject to approach or deal with, or even hear a sermon about. We need to defend public or biblical modesty in the age of immodesty and immodest apparel. Because we live in a society that exposes what ought not to be exposed. That we see nakedness abounding in this world on TV, on ads, on the internet, everywhere. It's it's hard to escape. And what we need to understand is that the Bible presents nakedness simply as exposing parts of the body. It doesn't have to be absolute nudity to be considered naked. I'll say that again. It doesn't have to be absolute nudity where you have nothing on to be considered naked by biblical standards. Notice in the book of Nahum, in Nahum chapter 3 and verse 5, there is the prophet here that he says, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will lift up your skirts over your face and show to the nations your nakedness and to the kingdoms your disgrace. 
that God, He has this principle that if there is exposing something that ought to be covered, lifting up of the skirt, and it exposes nakedness. You are naked then. And that's not my standard, that's God's standard. That's what God has said is nakedness. It's not absolute nudity, there's a skirt on, right? But if that skirt is lifted up to expose what ought to be covered, God says it's naked. In Isaiah chapter 47, we see this principle again. In Isaiah chapter 47, in verses 2 and 3, take the millstones and grind meal, remove your veil, strip off the skirt, uncover the leg, cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your shame also will be exposed. I will take vengeance and will not spare a man. Again, Isaiah is using this language in a metaphorical kind of way. I grant that, but any metaphor is based in reality. Any metaphor is based in reality and what is real. Uncovering the leg, or some translations might say thigh. Uncovering the leg, the thigh, that exposes nakedness. Another passage, the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 28, when Moses was giving the instructions for the priest and how they ought to dress. He made it an emphasis that the loins and the thighs were expected to be covered. In Exodus chapter 28 and verse 42, you shall not make for them linen breeches to cover their bare flesh. They shall reach from the loins even to the thighs. From the loins to the thighs. That the principle is that and what you see in Nahum and Isaiah and here in Exodus is that the genital area ought to be covered. I know that's plain. I know that's very clear, I hope. But it is something that we need to define in biblical ways. And that if we are not defining that in biblical ways, then we leave ourselves open for confusion. And so what you see is that there is this idea that you don't have to be completely stripped and nude to be naked. And if you are exposing parts of the body that are not supposed to be exposed, then you are naked. In John chapter 21 in the New Testament, in John the 21st chapter, this is after Jesus had died, and after He was raised, and the apostles had left, and they had kind of scattered out, they had gone back to their boats and to fish. And John chapter 21 and in verse 7, it says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. That word stripped there in the New American Standard Bible, some translations actually do render that as naked. And that is an appropriate translation. In the Greek, it, that word stripped, it's gumnos, which means to be uncovered, naked or bare. And in the third uh, entry on, under that, it means to be lightly clad, without an outer garment, without a decent person, uh, which a decent person did not appear in public. And so Peter throws on his shirt before he goes and meets the Lord. <laughs> There's a pretty important principle there. But I can imagine Peter being out on a boat, as many of you have perhaps been out on a boat. Or maybe you've been out mowing the yard. And men especially, maybe you take off that shirt, it gets hot. According to Bible standards, you're stripped and you're naked. And while there's not a single passage in Scripture that tells us how a person ought to dress and what is appropriate or inappropriate, what we have to do is we have to learn from all of these passages of Scripture that the Bible uses the term nakedness or naked 
when only certain parts of the body are exposed and visible, like the upper body, the torso, the leg, the thigh, the groin area, etc. And from a biblical perspective, you can have some clothing on, but still be naked if you are exposing certain parts of the body. And so what we see is that immodesty is just public nakedness. It's exposing parts of the body that God expects to be covered. And as Christians, we are supposed to be different. We are supposed to talk differently. We are to think differently. We are to dress differently. Because we are to be concerned about our sexual purity and holiness and honoring God. And because of that, we have to avoid being immodest. Because immodesty promotes a worldly view of beauty and sexualization, which then again also reinforces bad misconceptions regarding the body. And what we have to understand when we talk about modesty and how to dress is that we're not talking about rules. We're not going to be getting out the ruler this morning or anything like that. But that we have to understand that the Bible teaches us principles about what is wise, what is foolish. In James, the third chapter, in James chapter 3, James contrasts the way that we are to think with the way that the world thinks. In James chapter 3 and in verse 13, James here writes, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. He goes on to contrast the arrogancy and the jealousy and things of the world. But he then says in verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who made peace. While immodesty promotes a different kind of view, and it reinforces bad misconceptions regarding the body, Christians are called to think differently and be influenced by heavenly wisdom. The wisdom that is from above. And wisdom is going to require that we ask and we think through things that we put on, the things that we wear. That we have to think about it before we actually go out in public. That we have to ask ourselves, can I stand, sit, walk, kneel, or bend over and remain modest? We have to ask ourselves, am I naked in accordance with biblical standards? Just because I may have clothes on that covers some parts of the body doesn't mean that I am completely dressed or modest. We have to ask ourselves, does my clothing emphasize certain parts of my body that don't leave much to the imagination? Does my clothing indicate a lack of character? What kind of influence will my, my clothing have on other believers? Are my clothes too tight, too loose, or too low cut? These are all things that we have to ask and we have to think about as we dress and what is appropriate or what is inappropriate. These are all important things that we have to think about. And of course, as we think about what we are going to put on, there's always an area of judgment that we have to make. Just as any moral decision requires that we think and make a judgment about. In the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, in Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 8, Paul says, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 8, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and this I pray, 
that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Now what Paul is trying to convey is that there is always a matter of judgment and discernment. In whatever we put on, whatever action we may do, whether it's dress or whether it's something else, how we talk or how we think or the places that we go, there's always going to be some level of thinking and decision making that we have to make. And what Paul says is that you have to use good discernment so that you approve what is excellent. Not just what you can get by with, but that you can approve what is good and right. And a person can become immodest if they are not dressing appropriately and if they are exposing too much things that are too tight, things that are too loose, things that are showing and revealing what ought not be revealed. I think there's sometimes a cringe whenever we talk about modesty. Sometimes we cringe, we don't enjoy thinking about it because there are some bad associations with it, maybe. That we think that modesty is only a a women's issue. And I'll be the first to say I don't believe that. I think the standards of biblical modesty and nakedness apply both to men and women. There's also this idea that modesty is anti-fashion. And I disagree with that as well. That We think that modesty means that you have to dress in a frumpy kind of way. But what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 9, he says it in a very positive light. Notice that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves. Paul's not saying you don't have that you have to dress badly. He wants you to adorn yourself. He wants you to dress in a way that is right and appropriate. So modesty doesn't have to be anti-fashion. You can dress modestly and attractively, but don't dress suggestively or provocatively. Dress your body in a godly way and dress your life with good works. That's what Paul is trying to encourage. Modesty is sometimes thought to restrict creativity and individuality. And while the sin of immodesty, that I believe is what is truly restrictive because it is so sad in the world that many people, they define their self-worth by their clothes and by their looks and by how they dress. They feel that their worth as a person and as an individual is defined by that. That's restrictive. Modesty is liberating. And it helps correct some of those ungodly kinds of thinking. We think about modesty as just about rules. That rules and guidelines can help someone, but they don't fix everything. Because modesty really is going to begin in the heart. And until God becomes our treasure in His Word, our supreme authority in the Gospel of Christ, the most precious thing that belongs to us, then our attitude towards modesty is going to be influenced by the world more than it is going to be by Jesus Christ. And modesty is not about being ashamed of your body. Let me repeat that. Modesty is not about being ashamed of your body. And if you've heard sermons or any kind of presentation about modesty that has reinforced any of these things, then I apologize. Because I think that's missed the mark, it's missed the point. Modesty is not about these things. These are myths about modesty. Modesty isn't about being ashamed. It's not about hiding yourself. Modesty is about revealing you and your God-focused heart to others. 
Now, I know that many times that we think of this issue as a women's issue, and I would probably be the first to admit that women and women probably would be the first to admit that this is a harder issue than it is for men. Because you go to the clothes rack and you look at, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> you might even have to go over to some of the men's clothing to find some shorts that would be appropriate to wear. But I tell you, I've seen in you watch basketball and men's shorts, they're going back to the 70s style. They're creeping up and up. And that's immodest. But I understand that I have maybe what is a limited perspective, but here's what one woman wrote in a blog. She said, When I was younger, the term modesty always brought to mind the picture of a nun like Maria from The Sound of Music, fully covered from head to toe with no color or creativity. This didn't sit well with my love for fashion or my desire to create through clothing. She goes on in addressing why she always wanted to wear a two-piece bikini. She said, Throughout high school, I still wanted to wear two pieces. Even into college, I truly didn't pay much attention to the reasons why I wanted to wear a bikini. If you were to ask me during that time why I wanted to wear a two-piece, I would have said I wanted to get a good tan, which didn't make uh, sense considering I didn't wear clothing with low necklines or an exposed belly. But deep down, I knew the reason revolved around where I placed my worth. I wanted to look like other girls and get affirmation through my body like others seemed to be receiving. I found my worth in my beauty and outward appearance. The intent of my heart was never to glorify Christ by wearing a bikini. The intent of my heart was to glorify myself. And Maybe that's how many of you have felt and dealt with this struggle. And I don't want, if there's nothing else that you get after this sermon, I hope that you understand this right here. That modesty is not just a women's issue. It's not just anti-fashion. It's not something to restrict creativity. It's not just about rules. And it's not about being ashamed and defining yourself worth by your body. I believe the Bible presents a very good kind of definition for modesty that we will be working towards here in just a moment. The Bible has a very different message for modesty. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the verses that we have been looking at this morning, where Paul says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. The idea that the New American Standard puts forth is proper clothing, proper, modest, discreet. Those are some terms that we pick up on. Other translations, the New King James, modest apparel, propriety, moderation. I think those are helpful terms. The ESV, respectable apparel, modesty, self-control. And the New Living Translation says modest appearance, decent appropriate clothing. I think those are all different terms that help us understand what Paul is really trying to drive at. That we need to characterize ourselves in the way that we dress in an appropriate way. In a way that is decent. In a way that does not bring attention to ourselves, but in a way that glorifies God. As women who, as Paul is addressing there in verse 9, that are seeking to Promote good works, making a claim for godliness. And what all these terms help us see is that modesty is about wearing. It's about what you wear. It's about wearing what is appropriate. And this principle governs every situation in every location that you might be. I've heard some people say, well, I was appropriately dressed at the beach. I wore a two-piece bikini. That's appropriate there at that location. Or I was at a, a formal and those gowns that they have are maybe they don't have a shoulder or a top and so I was appropriately dressed for that occasion. No, what we have to see is that this principle of, of modesty, it applies everywhere, not just based on geography or events. 
whether it's a wedding or an athletic event or vacation, swimming, recreation, school formal, whatever it might be, that does not dictate what is appropriate or not. God's Word dictates what is appropriate or not. Clothing that honors God is the only kind of clothing that is modest and appropriate. And what you see is that modesty is about moderation. It's about discretion and self-control. In other words, it's about using good judgment. That we need to be promoting excellence, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. And the call to modesty, I understand, is very countercultural. It's very countercultural. At Paul in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he's having to correct this whole idea that you go and behave like the pagans and dressing up and all this elaborate kind of uh, jewelry. He was calling them to be different than the culture that was around them. God expects something drastically different from His people. And all with a view towards godliness and doing what is right. And so this morning, I want us to spend the rest of our time really thinking about what is modesty. I think that's something that we, we wrestle with. We use that word modesty. We, we put up all these terms. But what is it really? How could we concretely define modesty? And I think this is a definition that will help us understand modesty. That modesty is a respectable manner of adorning one's body and carrying oneself. Modesty is a respectable manner of adorning one's body and carrying oneself. That it is about the body. It is about what we wear. It's about adorning the body, as Paul says. And in our Bible study in the past few weeks, as we've been looking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about the resurrection, there is a principle that is even larger than that, that God is concerned about the body. If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul is addressing the sin of immorality, sexual immorality. And in that context, he's talking about how that is a sin that is committed with the body. Sensuality and sexual immorality, all those things. And he says at the end of that, or do you not know, in verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The way that you dress, the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you handle your body, it is something that God cares about. God, God bought you with a price, for a price, by the blood of Jesus Christ. He didn't do that so you could go live and do whatever you want to with your body. That your body is brought under the control of King Jesus. That is what modesty is. It's understanding that principle that there is this concern that God has for your body, for how you dress. But then we have to continue on in our definition. And it's not just about that. This whole notion of modesty is born out of a freedom from a worldly definition of beauty and worth as we've been referencing and talking about that the world, they define their worth and their sense of beauty based on how they dress, how they look. And what we need to recognize is that our sense of modesty must come from a we have to rid ourselves and free ourselves from that worldly definition. The world defines beauty based on the external appearance of someone. The world says sex sells. God does not define beauty in that way. I hope you know that. I hope you understand that. That God defines beauty in a very different way. Not based on how the world views it. We're called to be 
transformed, not conformed to the ways of this world, Paul wrote in, in Romans 12. But what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. That what Paul's, or Peter is saying is that it's about the hidden person. It's that inner heart, that inner quality that you have. That is how God determines your beauty. And, I, and here is a point for the men as well. Whenever you, if you're a young person that's not yet married and you're looking for someone that you might marry, look for someone who has the inner kind of characteristics that Peter is describing. Not just on external, outward appearances. Look at the inner person, the hidden person of the heart who has that gentle and quiet spirit, who's precious in the sight of God, that is how God defines beauty. It's based on godliness. Modesty needs to be motivated by a hatred of sin. Christians are called to hate sin and expose it in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Paul said, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate evil, hate sin. That the reason that we need to dress modestly is because we hate what is evil and we hate sin. And we don't need to expose ourselves, we need to rather expose sin. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 10, and 11, Paul says, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. The evil works of darkness, that, the, that is what needs to be exposed. Not ourself, not our body. But we need to show that through our character, through the way that we dress up, that is what is evil. That is what is inappropriate. That is what is wrong. Immodesty and sexualization of our body. And just a word that I think is important to understand is that we can't afford to get angry at churches who defend what is modest. We can't afford to get angry at preachers who speak clearly about modesty. We can't be resentful against elders who hold us accountable to the standards of modesty and holiness that God requires. We need to appreciate those churches, those preachers, and those elders who unashamedly hold to the truth and want us to pursue what is good, holy, and right before God. Because we have to learn to hate sin and not hate those who are trying to promote godliness. You know, you know, I used to always wonder how, and I still do, I still wonder this, but I used to always kind of lament this without an answer. How does a father who, just by sake of illustration, has a couple, of, a couple or three teenage girls, and he allows them to go out with short shorts and tank tops that are really loose. and How does he allow that? How does he allow his daughters to go around dressing immodestly? I think I'm coming around to maybe having a few reasons to explain that. Maybe it's just that he's naive about what the Scriptures teach. Maybe that's a possibility. I don't think that's the most likely possibility, but perhaps it is. But he just doesn't know. And he's kind of naive about what is just good common sense. While that's possible, I don't know if that's probable because if he's a man, then he's probably fully aware of the power of visual 
visuals and how that can stir him up. Perhaps it's that he's cowardly, that he doesn't have the courage to rule his house well and expect his children to dress modestly. And maybe it's even a bigger issue than that. Maybe it's that he has a wife who doesn't dress modestly and he doesn't want to pick that fight with her And so he doesn't have the courage to expect holy and proper dress from his wife, much less his children. And he knows if he requires something from his daughters, then he's going to have an unhappy wife. Maybe that's part of it. And someone that's like that, I would encourage to be more like Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That sometimes men need to be men and men need to lead their houses and their homes and their family. But I think perhaps the biggest issue is that he's blind to it and he's desensitized to it because the world has sunk its claws into him and Satan has control of his mind through other avenues. Through avenues that are online, through pornography, through what's on television and just the worldly standards that are out there. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 and through 19, Paul said, as he's talking about how we are to be different from the world and how the Gentiles, he describes their situation apart from God. He says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous and having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. might be that he's so blinded to what's around him in the world that he just doesn't even think, oh, My children are doing the same thing. Maybe he even likes to take a look at the neighbor across the street when she's dressed immodestly. Maybe he likes to take a look at his co-worker that dresses immodestly. Maybe that's why a father like that can become that way. We need to have a hatred and for sin and immodesty. We need to be motivated by that hatred. And that should push us to modesty. It should push us to a desire to draw attention to God, even how we dress. Paul emphasizes this point in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that the goal, the way that we dress, should be to point others to the character of God, not to accentuate our physical and sexual features. As he says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 10, by, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. That's why we dress modestly. That's why we dress in that appropriate way. That we want to draw attention to God. We want others to see God living through us. The goal in our dress should not be to promote ourselves and accentuate what we like about our bodies or what we find attractive, or what we hope others will find attractive. The goal in how we dress is to glorify God and draw attention to Him. And so, as we've been kind of piecing together this definition of modesty, I think this is a biblical definition, that modesty is a respectable manner of adorning one's body and carrying oneself born out of a freedom from a worldly definition of beauty and worth and motivated by a hatred of sin and a desire to draw attention to God. When we say we need to be modest, this is what we mean. We need to free ourselves from the sexualized way of thinking that this world and this society promotes. We need to hate that. And we need to love God and His Word and look to the standards that God has revealed for us. And as we wage this fight 
It's going to be a hard one. It's going to be a difficult one. And I would suggest to you that we need to hear this message of modesty. We need to hear it from preachers. We need to hear it from elders. We need elders to hold us accountable. We need to hear it from fathers and mothers, though. And I can tell you that if this is the only time that you hear about modesty this year, is this sermon, it's probably not going to do much good. Probably won't do any good. If the only time that we hear about modesty is whenever elders ask, hey, preacher, will you preach on this subject? It might accomplish a little bit, but it may not accomplish and take hold and deeply rooted. I believe the battle for modesty is not going to be won from the pulpit alone and it's not going to be won by good elders who keep us accountable alone. It begins in the home. We have to teach the principles of modesty in our homes to our children. They need to hear principles of sound doctrine and sound teaching. We need fathers who courageously lead their household. It begins with fathers. Remember I said this isn't just about women. This is about fathers just as much as it is our wives and our daughters or our sons. It begins with fathers who are going to step up and lead with courage, leading their household just as Joshua did. We don't need to be afraid to question choices of our wives, our daughters, or our sons pertaining to what they wear. We need to have a generation of men who will lovingly hold firm God's standard of modesty and demand that their wives, their sons, and their daughters be modest. Men, you may have to learn how to start enjoying some shopping trips <laughs> some days. Mothers and fathers need to exemplify beauty and modesty. That as Peter addressed in 1 Peter chapter 3, that this is about the heart. It's about the inner person. And that Peter addressed how the holy women before who hoped in God adorned themselves. You need to exemplify what is good and what is modest in front of your children. Fathers too. Parents, you need to know what is going on in your children's lives. You need to be able to see what is going on. You need to correct what you see as wrong. Maybe not what they do, but just what's on their social media, their Instagram feeds. Tune in and talk. Know what's going on. Know the media that your children are consuming. Talk to them about the true worth and the true value, true beauty. Talk to them about that. Have those discussions. Because modesty is something that needs to be taught both to our sons and to our daughters. Sons are going to become fathers, hopefully. Daughters will become mothers. We need to expect our sons to know what modesty is because we need fathers who will hold up the standards of modesty and holiness in their families. We need preachers, we need elders in the church who will be firm on this. The same goes for daughters as well. Teach your daughters how to, what to wear, what to wear, how they ought to appropriate themselves. The most important thing is as a parent, as I've learned, I think, is that we need to be consistent. You need to be consistent. You can't let your children wear whatever they want to wear or whatever you think is just cute and adorable from age 3 to 10 and then realize, uh-oh, now they're starting to grow up a little bit and now we need to get them dressed more modestly. You might be in for a fight at that point. Teach your children now, today. What is modest? What is good? What is right? We need mothers who will dress modestly to set an example for their children. And ultimately, I believe modesty honors marriage in the way that God wants it to be. It's not that nakedness altogether is wrong. It's that public nakedness is wrong. 
the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 4, the Hebrew writer said, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Modesty preserves the holiness in marriage. Modesty sanctifies marriage. Whenever you hold to the principles of modesty, it keeps the honor in marriage. But if you are dressing immodestly, and that shows that you don't respect that marriage relationship in the marriage bed as God wants it to be honored and protected. The subject of modesty is too important for us to ignore. and We need to understand what is scriptural nakedness. We need to understand how the Bible defines nakedness. We need to understand what God-honoring, modest dress is. What does godly dress really look like? Then we have to think about how can we win this battle? How can we win this battle against Satan? And it's going to be involving the pulpit and preachers. It's going to involve the elders who hold us accountable. And it's going to involve primarily mothers and fathers who are teaching and training up their children in what is good and right and proper. And preaching the truth about holiness and modesty is ultimately an act of brotherly love. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 15, Paul said there that we need to speak the truth in love. Modesty is not something that should be used to bash anyone. Modesty is actually something that becomes a great gift. Whenever you dress modestly, it's a gift to others. It's a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a blessing to the church. It's a way that you honor God. Dressing modestly is an act of brotherly love. And modesty is a biblical way of fleeing sexual immorality and sensuality and clinging to what is good and what is right. Modesty shows the world that God cares about the whole person, soul, spirit, and body. I know this morning's lesson has not been designed to teach someone what they must do to become a Christian. It's been more addressing how we are to live as children of God. But this morning, if you are not a Christian, if you have never named the name of Christ and have put Him on in baptism, then we would encourage you to make that choice, to follow Christ, to come to Him, to come join Him in the waters of baptism, to be united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, and then to walk in newness of life. Maybe it is that you have made that commitment to following the Lord, but you've not been faithful and you have turned back to the world and turned back to sin. We want you to come back to the Lord. If we can help you in any way, would you come now and stand as we stand and sing? All verses then, chorus.